seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Go with me, if you will, to First Kings, First Kings, chapter seventeen. We're going to continue in the vein we started in last week. Amen. It's good to see you. Hallelujah. If I have any uh, embittered Georgia fans in the house, we'll have an altar call at the end of service for any repentance that needs to be offered up. You can always just thank God he didn't make you an FSU fan. Amen. <laughs> oh, man. I, I'll hit everybody by the time. Look, we'll, we'll, I'll preach so good today, there'll be three people left. That's how good. Amen. And I can say all that because I'm not from around here. And my my Texas team is doing horrible this year, so... I'll, I'll sit in that boat with you today. Amen. First Kings chapter 17. It's okay to have fun in church, right? Can we have fun in church? Amen. Hallelujah. First Kings chapter 17. We've begun a, a, begun a, a talk, if you will, a discussion on what generosity looks like, what generosity looks like to the heart of God. I believe that generosity reveals your level of trust. I believe your level of generosity reveals your level of trust, what you're willing to give, what you're willing to let go of. And um, I want you to do the best you can uh, to, when I say generosity or when I talk about giving, to kind of disengage that from money for a moment because there's a principle at the heart uh, that a lot of times gets lost uh, when we are simply focused on or talking about money. Obviously, generosity can imply uh, uh, financially. It has financial implications. Um, But I want you to think about being generous with your time and being generous with your love, being generous with your joy, being generous with your gifts and your talents, uh, with a mindset of not what can I get, but what can I give. Um, One of our values here at our church is generosity. And we said that we want to be defined as a church that's not known for what we have, but for what we give. Amen? And, uh, you know, that's countercultural in our world today uh, because everybody wants to be identified and defined by what you can accumulate. Um, you know, we all know that when we leave this place, we take none of it with us, right? But yet we try to, uh, you know, round up as much as we can. But, um, you know, Jesus told us that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So I don't believe that we can disconnect treasure and heart. I don't believe I can disconnect you from what you do with your money and in what ways you are generous. So uh, we are trying to get to the heart of the matter, if you will. We want to get to the the bottom of it. We want to get to the the root. And here in 1 Kings chapter 17, we started out last week because a lot of times uh, a poor level of generosity is a poor recognition of God's sufficiency. A poor level of generosity is a poor recognition of God's sufficiency. That my generosity flows from the fact that my God has everything that I need. That my God knows how to 
give me, how to sustain me, what I need in the moment, regardless of my external situations. We looked at verses 1 through about uh, 6, verse 7, uh, and we see the prophet Elijah in the midst of a famine. In fact, he's calling down the famine. He's declaring, you're about to enter some years of famine as judgment. Uh, But even in that moment, Elijah knows that he's going to be sustained by God. God sends him and says, go over here to this brook. The water from the brook will sustain you, and I will bring birds to you twice a day to bring you uh, bread and meat, to bring you a meal. And so God knows how to sustain you in the midst of contrary situations. God knows how to be sufficient for you and to give you what you need. You know, sometimes uh, we, we, we want to be more comfortable than we do sufficient. We, we want to be more, uh, you know, this is not an ideal situation, uh, sitting by a brook, sitting by a, a little river of water, and, you know, having to rely on that water to sustain you, and then having to rely uh, on birds to bring you a, a couple meals every day. That's, that's probably not the most ideal situation. Um, you would rather it just, I mean, this is miraculous what God is doing here in the midst of a famine. He's causing the land which is drying up to bring a a supply, to bring sufficiency to Elijah. But, you know, we have to be able to be in a position, just as Elijah was, to be obedient. To be obedient. This is where sufficiency starts. Sufficiency starts where you are obedient. You know, there's so many times that we want what God has But we don't want to do it God's way. We want what God has. We want God's will our way. We'll put it that way. We want God's will in our life, but in my comfort zone. And when it's convenient for me, and when it feels good to me, and and this is how I thought. I don't know uh, uh, where you're at in life, uh, whether you're a teenager or where you are are well-grown and well in years. But I can promise you that you are probably in a place today where you had it mapped out a little differently. Can anyone agree with me? You had a different idea. You had a different plan. You probably wouldn't have taken that route. You know, my testimony is, uh, you know, uh, uh, growing up and even when I got married, um, you know, I didn't really like kids. I didn't want kids. I, I didn't really have any interest in children. And, um, you know, they didn't really have much interest in me except to bug me and irritate me and, 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 and do those kind of things. I didn't have young kids growing up around me. My brother was 14 months younger than me, and it was him and I and my, and my parents in the house. And so you know, I didn't have a lot of opportunities to, you know, get acquainted with these little rugrats that ran around everywhere. And so, uh, you know, I remember when I moved to St. Augustine, Florida to help launch the, the church there, Anchor Faith Church down there. Um, one of the first responsibilities uh, coming out of Bible school, I mean, I'm, I'm anointed, I'm trained, I know the word, man, I'm ready to preach, teach, ready to deliver the word, and, and uh, Pastor Earl approaches me and says, hey, uh, what do you think about you and your wife helping us out with our uh, two and three-year-old? And I'm like, two and three-year-old what? You know, two and, two and three-year-old, like, give me some context, two and three-year-old believers? I can do that, you know? They just got born again. Yeah, no problem. Two and three-year-old kids still in diapers, still, 
you know, can't talk, so you can't understand them. You don't I have no idea what you want right now. You're going to have to do better than that. Draw me a picture or something. And uh, thankfully, you know, we were actually just dating at the time. We, we may have been engaged by that point. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, thankfully I had my wife alongside with me. Um, that would have been very dangerous. I don't know that I would be here today if it wasn't for my wife in that moment. They would have strung me upside down, hung me from the roof. Uh, I don't know if I would have made it out alive that first day. I think I was in the corner. They're all having fun. I'm over in the corner just watching and observing, you know, filling them out. But, but to, to think that that was the path, the one area uh, that, that I thought I would never operate in in ministry, uh, that was the path that got me to where I am today, period. Because from there, uh, because of the role that we played in that capacity, uh, we ended up becoming children's pastors for about three and a half years there and, and had a flourishing children's ministry, growing, booming. I mean, just seeing the power of God. I learned the value of investing and pouring into children, foundational elementary principles at a young age. Get to them before the devil gets to them. Amen. And, 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 and then from there, children's pastoring to, to senior pastoring. Not a path I would have chosen. Not the ideal situation. That was my brook. Uh, if you will. But God knows how to get to you what you need. And God sees a lot further than we do. We usually see today. We usually see right now. And how many times do we compromise tomorrow for today? How many times do we compromise what's next for what's now? But I want us to be in a posture. And this is what generosity will do. Generosity will set you up for the future. The Bible is very clear that if you give. It shall be, will be given back to you. So every time I give, every time I let go, I'm just setting myself up for a receiving moment. I'm setting myself up for a moment where now God can give to me. And so here in these first you know, few verses, this is the situation we see with Elijah. Well, eventually this brook dries up. Uh, and, and what God is trying to teach us in this is that he doesn't want us developing a reliance and a dependency on the blessing. Thank God for the blessing, but let's not forget the one that has blessed us with the blessing. And many times, God will bless us with something that we end up putting more trust and dependence in than we do God. You know, it it seems this way in in, in my life, and maybe you can uh, agree uh, that, you know, many times... God is only as big as my last miracle. God is only as big as the last time he moved in my life. And then the, the next thing that comes in my life, you know, he, he's trying to build up a pattern with us. He's trying to build up a system where the next time the trial shows up, you say, but my God, but I remember his faithfulness, how he brought me through and the same God that brought me through. I mean, you got to have a David mentality. You see that lion? You see that bear? See, that lion didn't know how to throw a, a spear. Though that, that bear didn't know how to pick up a sword and lop off someone's head, but Goliath did. But David referred back to the same God because the same God that brought me through that trial, even though this one seems bigger, even though this one seems greater, the same God's going to do the same for me. It's the principle of the matter. It's not about the situation. It's about his sufficiency. And so, you know, it's dangerous when God says you're going to be a father of many nations and he blesses you with Isaac. And then he says, now I want you to take Isaac and put him on the altar. What's he doing? Do you are you depending on the thing that I gave you or are you depending on the one that gave it to you? 
And, and, and again, this all ties in with generosity. This, our, our level of giving is tied into our ability to receive what God has given to us, what God has made available to us. But if I develop, uh, if I develop a dependency on what God has blessed me with rather than the God that blessed me with it, then I can only go as far as that thing can take me. I can only go as far as the blessing can take me. And the blessing is limited, but your God is limitless. He wants to get all things to you. He wants to supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Here in verse 8, we continue on. We got into this a little bit. We're going to kind of hammer it home a little bit. Hope we can identify some more truths that will help us. In our generosity, then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. So now he's picking him up, moving him to another location. And, and, you know, the brook might not have been ideal in the beginning, but it's amazing how comfortable you can get with the blessing at the end. You know, it, it might not have been the best situation to be in, but eventually we get comfortable with the patterns. It's like God wants to shake up. Our patterns. He wants to shake up. What are we really trusting? And so he says, you're going to go down to Sidon and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please, blink, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink, may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we that we may eat it and die. And like we said last week, Elijah responds and says, I got the wrong house. I must be I must be a couple houses down. Why is it? Why is it that God would send you and supply you with something that looks like it cannot meet your need? I mean, look at this scenario. This is contrary. I mean, you got to think. Elijah just, I mean, he's got to be thinking, well, at least the brook gave me something to drink. And at least the birds, not, not even this widow woman can supply my need. But this is the bigger picture that God likes to operate in. This is the bigger picture that God likes to meet needs in. Because, again, what are we trusting in? What are we developing our, 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 our trust and dependence upon? He sends him to a widow woman that is collecting sticks to cook the last meal of food that they have in the house for her and her son. And you got to be thinking, I mean, the last thing I want to do is ask a widow woman who has a young boy. She's already lost her husband. This famine has taken everything from them. I mean, just get a picture now. And now she's out collecting sticks. And, and the greatest outlook on life is we've got a last meal. Like, that's it. This is all that we have left to look at. And this is. Where God sends Elijah. And I find it interesting in this moment. You know, it's amazing the opportunities. I said opportunities that you'll have to give. But don't expect 
generosity to line up with prosperity. I said, don't allow generosity. See, being generous is not just for the prosperous. Being generous is not just for people that have an abundance of something. And sometimes we think that God has to get it to us before he can get it through us. But God likes to flip things around. He likes to flip the script a little bit. He likes to work from, you know, work backwards, if you will. And so he says, if you prove that you will give, then I will prove, then I will prove that I can give to you. If you will prove that you can pass it on, if I can get it through you, then I can get it to you. I mean, I've, I've had people that have, have never given a dime to the church, never, never sown a seed. But they're the ones that always come up and tell me, Pastor, when I win the lottery. I heard, I heard one person say one time, I said, he, he said, Lord, Lord, let me prove to you that if I win the lottery, I won't use it all on myself. <laughs> Just let me prove it. Just give me the opportunity. And, but this is what God is saying. Start with what you've got. Start with where you're at. Generosity doesn't start at the beginning of prosperity. Prosperity starts at the end of generosity. Prosperity shows up when you prove, I can give it away. I can let it go. If, you, if it accumulates you, then we don't, we, we, we're not generous. We haven't proven to God that we can even handle what we have. He starts at the bottom. He starts with a, 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 a woman that shows up when, when all the, the elders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees are just writing their big old checks and dropping in their big old amounts. And Jesus is standing right there watching what they're giving. And then he sees, he sees a woman come in and she drops in, you know, two little coins. And Jesus has the audacity to say, this woman's given more than all of you. Because what is Jesus really looking at? What is Jesus really looking at? See, if, if we can only be generous when it's left over. I mean, if you want to reckon, if you want to learn what you really trust in, identify what becomes a priority when everything is taken away. It, it's difficult to really test generosity in comfort. It's difficult to, to test generosity when you've got an overabundance and it's easy to give. But what happens, you know, uh, in, in 2008, there was a big economic crisis that hit our nation. Everyone knows about that. And churches were among one of the groups that suffered. Because what are people doing? When something like that happens, everyone is doing what? Cutting back. So now they're not paying someone to cut their yard anymore. Let's say, well, I'll just do it myself. And they're not paying for cable television. Hey, we don't need that. Uh, we're not going out to eat as much as we are. Uh, uh, we're going to just make meals at home and just, you know, enjoy eating at the house. And then for some people, what gets cut is giving to the, to the church. So you learn, you learn priorities when there's lack. You really find out what you prioritize when it, you, you, you tighten your focus, that's, the, that's one of the benefits of lack, is it will cause you to tighten your focus where we were able to do things uh, in extreme liberty. Now there's lack that shows up that causes me to say, okay, what is most important? And I know individuals that through that crisis, they said, 
this will not get cut. This will not get eliminated. When things get tight, I'll make sure. Why? Because you prioritize. You prioritize what you value. You prioritize what you value. That means, that means if it's at the top, it doesn't get compromised. If it's at the top of my list, I make sure I get this, this, and this done before I even get to the rest of it. What is prioritized does not get compromised. We've talked about this. We just talked about this last month when we were talking about the cost and we're talking about discipleship and what it takes to really get the work of the kingdom done. Jesus wasn't interested in people that were fair-weather fans, if you will. Jumping on the bandwagon when, when the crowds are following him and when all the miracles are happening and, and, and he's popular and, and everyone's just saying, oh, man, this guy's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then knowing that I'm going to the cross and I'm going to the cross alone, that there's going to be a day when what I'm saying and what I'm doing isn't very popular. Go and look at John chapter 8. He starts talking about, well, unless you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not worthy of me. And everyone's like, whoa, this, who's this character? And all of a sudden, the multitude begins to dwindle down. And he looks at even his own disciples, the own 12. And he looks at them and he says, you guys going to go too? You guys going to cut ties? You guys going to abandon ship? I mean, you're here when, when everything is going good, but where are you at when it's not so popular? And that's when Peter spoke up and said, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. I love the fact that he said, I'm going to follow you not because of what you have and not because you're my friend and not because, you know, there's, I'm sure there were some people that said, well, you know, we've come this far with him. But no, he says, no, no, no. My future is dependent upon following you. You have the words of life. And so you've got to make a priority. You've got to make a priority in the midst of lack. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we see Paul address this with the Corinthian church. And he's not talking about the Corinthian church. He's talking about the church at Macedonia. He says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? In deep poverty, in trials and afflictions, there was an abundance of joy. What's he saying? That their uh, uh, prosperity and their generosity didn't come from what was in their hand. It came from what was in their heart. And what he's doing, really, he's bringing a level of competition here. He's talking to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, look what these guys did. Look what these guys did over in this town. And notice he says churches of Macedonia. Could there be a day where we're not known as Anchor Faith Church and Cross Point Church and Crossroads Church and First Baptist, United Methodist, Second Baptist, da 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 but we were known as the churches of Valdosta? That we all came together in one accord, unified in one mind, and said, we will give to that need. And then it can be spoken of us, the churches of Valdosta helped meet that need. Could that happen? I mean, we see it in the Word of God. That's a great example. 
And so now he's talking to another town. That'd be like going up to Tifton and saying, hey, guys, look what the churches in Valdosta did. In a great trial of affliction, they had an abundance of joy. And out of the abundance of their joy, out of the abundance of their heart, their hand was extended in deep poverty. He says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability. This is what we're talking about. That widow woman had an ability to make one last meal, collect the flour, get the oil together, gather up some sticks, start a fire, and cook that meal. That was her ability. But beyond her ability was to offer that up to someone else. He says, according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. This is what generosity looks like. Generosity is not the result of prosperity. Prosperity is the result of generosity. Generosity is not the result of prosperity. Prosperity is the result of generosity. If you're waiting until you have it, then you won't have it to give it. But if you give it when you don't have it, then you'll have it. Seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Give away joy when you barely have any joy to hold on for yourself. Give away love to someone when you barely have anyone to love you. Give away your time when you're thinking, man, I'm so busy. I don't even have time to do my own stuff. Give away a hug when you need someone to hug you. Give away a word of encouragement when you need someone to encourage you and uplift you. He's saying give and it will be given back to you. Amen. Look at what she says here. Going back to 1 Kings 17. In verse 12, so she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin. And a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks. That I may go in and prepare it. She says, I mean, she makes a very definitive statement. I do not have bread. But then she says, but I have a flour I have a a bin of flour, and I have a jar of oil, and I'm getting some sticks. She has the ingredients to make the bread, but yet makes the statement, I do not have bread. And so I wonder today, while we're thinking, I just wish I could be generous, but I don't have to give it. I wonder what God has given to us that we're waiting for him to give to us in a completed form when he's given us the ingredients to make the thing that we're believing for. See, God gives it to you in a seed form. You don't say, I don't have a tree. You say, well, I've got some seed and I've got some dirt and we get some rain and there's some sunlight. Well, you've got all the ingredients to get the very thing that you're standing and saying, God, I need. God, I need, I need someone to love me. And he's saying, I've given you the ingredients. 
I've given you the ingredients to make the very thing that you're crying out to me for. I've given it to you in seed form. But here's the thing. If we, if we neglect it in the seed form, then we will never get it in the tree form. If we neglect it in the ingredient stage, then we will never put it together to see the thing. And, and God has given us opportunities after opportunities where you can plant the seed, but we neglect the seed, and then we cry out to God wondering why we never see the thing that we're believing for. Could it be that maybe there's some action required on our part? Could it be that maybe there is some gathering of sticks and, and, and there is some making of flour and there is some putting the oil and mixing it all together and then putting it over the fire to see the, th- the very thing that we say I do not have? This is interesting. This is interesting because it's so many times that we buy the lie of the enemy when he tries to tell us that you, 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 you can't give it. You, can, you can't do that. You know, we, we, we think about the end result so many times. We think about, well, if, if I show them love, they're just going to throw it back in my face. If I give that, they're not even going to care. They're just going to waste it. I mean, how many times have we driven by, you know, maybe a homeless person or someone on the side of the road and say, well, you know, they're probably just going to use it on this or that. We think we think ahead of the initial action that God is requiring on our part. God is asking us to just take the first step. God is asking us to take the initial step, and then he will take it from there. But how many times do we let ingredients sit on the table, and then we sit with our arms folded saying, well, if I had it, I would do it. And God is saying, you do have it. I just need you to do something with it. I just need you to put it together. I just need you to stir it up. I just need you to get the fire started. And I will take care of the rest. Amen. So she says that we're going to go in and we're going to prepare it for ourselves, for me and my son, and we're going to eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. First. Don't you just love how God works? Don't you just love how he, look, we're talking about generosity. Why would he pick on this little widow woman? I'm sure there's somebody in this town that's got two cakes. I'm I'm sure that there's somebody in this town that says, uh, you know, we're going to eat two meals and then die. Why pick on the one with the last final meal? And she doesn't even think she has the ingredients to start with. She doesn't even think that she has what the servant needs. And can you just... Imagine if this was 2017, the headline, traveling evangelist steals widow woman's last meal. <laughs> Could you just imagine what this is going to look like in our day and age? How, how dare, how dare that evangelist ask that dying widow woman and her son for their last meal? But this is what God is doing in our lives. We miss these opportunities. We miss the miraculous because all we see is the mundane. We miss the miracle. We miss the miracle. See, th- this is the thing. I-, I-, I feel like at some points we've done a poor job with the gospel because we have presented that God 
gives us these opportunities and God uh, is going to miraculously move in our lives in, in these high moments. But most of life, the majority of life is not in a high moment. I believe that God wants to do the miraculous in our lives, but I believe sometimes it won't always look as miraculous as you think. It might be as simple as going back the next day and just pouring another thing of oil. And it said, it goes on to say that it never ran out. There's no one, there, there wasn't a, you know, the, the, the truck from the company that makes the oil just pulled up to the front of her house and said, here's a year's supply, as much as you need. Just, you know, uh, whatever you need. Just call us, give us a phone call, we'll come bring it. No, it said that she had to trust and go back every day that that oil would come out and that, that the, 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 the bin of flour wouldn't ever, I, you know, I don't know. I wasn't there. But I could just picture that, that there, there's always just enough at the bottom. But every time she poured, enough came out. Morning, afternoon, night, her, her son. And then it goes on to say her household. And then Elijah. This is the, she kept saying, sustaining Elijah too. But see, what happens is we, we look for God in all these miraculous moments. Psalms chapter 23, verse 4. Psalms 23, verse 4 tells us, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. It doesn't say that he takes me to the mountaintop. Did you know that God can be with you in the valley? Did you know that God can be with you when it doesn't seem miraculous? It doesn't seem like he's moving. It but if you just keep doing that initial action, see, she had to keep going. She had to keep going to that bin of flour. She had to keep going to that, to that oil and pour it out. You're just going to have to keep loving your husband, and it's just going to keep coming. And you don't know where the love's coming. And, and, and he keeps treating you horrible, and he keeps responding uh, uh, in, in, in the wrong way. But you just keep pouring that out, and just enough comes out for that moment, for that day. And God is wanting to pour. But if you don't have the heart of generosity that says, I'll keep going back, and we neglect the mundane, looking for the miraculous. We neglect just going back into the pattern and saying, God, I need my miracle. God, I need this. And he's saying, go back and pour the oil back out. Go back to the bin of flour. Oh, I mean, it's, I mean you, you saw it yesterday. That was all that I had. Nope, go back. And there'll be just enough for today and just enough for this meal and just enough for this opportunity. I mean, look, this miracle is not as miraculous as it sounds. I mean, it sounds great. And we read this and we think, man, what an amazing testimony. But, but this is just a, a pattern of a lady that uh, it goes on to say in verse 15, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. That, that's it. That's it. She went away and did according to to the word. Guys, we have a word. You're waiting on a new word, and this is the word. This is what you have. Keep pouring this out. Keep going back to the word. Allow the word to sustain you. Allow the word to give you direction in your life. And quit going back saying, well, I need a different word. That word wasn't good. No, you just keep going back. And it said for many days, and she and he and her household ate 
for many days. That means for many days, she had to keep going back to the word of Elijah. She had to put it into practice. She had to make it a pattern. She had to walk it out. She had to continue to go back the next day and say, I'm trusting that when I pour out that oil, it's coming back out. And when I go to that bin of flour, it's going to be there. And we're going to make enough food to sustain us for this. You know that God is only uh, obligated to sustain you 24 hours at a time. Give me this day my daily bread. This day. We're asking God to pay for stuff that's next week. We're asking God to move in our life for something that's a year from now. And God's saying, do you have food today? Do you have gas in the car today? Do you have enough to be generous with today? Just take care of today. Today. You're going to go back to sleep tonight, and you're going to sleep on your pillow, and you're going to sleep under the house with your concern. Can I even make the mortgage payment next week? And you're going to still go to sleep. And then the next day, he's going to take care of the next 24. And then the next day, he says it is, it is uh, uh, ridiculous. It's irresponsible even to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own problems. Tomorrow has its own needs. I will take care of your, I'll be sufficient for you today. 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 See, we, we've got to develop a better understanding of God's sufficiency so that I can understand God's generosity. I've got to develop a better understanding of how is God sustaining me. You know, the, most of the people that I've talked to want to give. I believe it's, in with, it's within most people's hearts. I, I, you know, maybe I'm just naive, but I just believe that most people want to to love other people and want to help other people and want to just see something on TV and just say, man, I'm sending them a hundred bucks. I'm doing it. And, 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 and you know, uh, we, we, we hear it from the ministers that we've followed all the time. God wants us in a position where we don't have to consult our checkbook when he tells us to do something. God wants us in a position where we can act and we can move and we can. God doesn't want you to have to talk to your heart to say, can I love that person? Do, do I really even have it to give? Can I, can, can I listen? Do, do I need to check my calendar to determine if I, can, if I have 10 minutes to sit down and listen to this person's issue or help this person out? That's the way God wants us to be. That's the way God wants us to operate. And that's what this woman had to do. But it was in the pattern. It's dangerous to neglect what we have in hopes of what we want. It's dangerous to neglect what we have in hopes of what we want. We get this picture of, you know, because we know that God wants a better life. How many of you believe that God wants a better life for you? That means right now I can have better than right now. And so we get stuck on better. We get stuck on Bigger bank accounts, and we get stuck on a better house, and we get stuck on a nicer car, and we get stuck on better, and then we neglect what we have in our hand today. And God is saying, I'm not, I'm not going to do the miraculous in spite of the mundane. I'm going to do the miraculous through the mundane. 
through the thing that you've neglected that said, I don't know how in the world God's going to work through this thing, but I'm going to give it to him anyways. I don't know how God's going to meet my needs. All I can, all I can give is just $10 above my tithes, but, but I'm, I'm just going to start there. Seems mundane, seems minuscule, seems uh, uh, of, of no value, but God is looking not at what is in your hand. He's looking at what is in your heart. He's not looking at the finance. He's looking at the faith. Amen. This is what God is trying to tell us. This is what God is trying to reveal. This is what God is trying to show us. Look at Philippians chapter 4, if the worship team would come. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Hallelujah. We know this verse. It says, And my God shall supply... All your need according to, James, I'm sorry, I just turned off your guitar. I didn't even think about that. Go ahead, go ahead. And my God shall supply all your need according to whose riches? How many times do we bring down God's ability to meet a need according to what we have? According to what we see, according to what is operating, according to what is already in our hands. And God is saying, no, 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 I'm going to meet, I'm going to meet, I'm going to supply all your need according to my riches in glory, his riches in glory. God has an unlimited supply. God has an. I, I know that I'm talking to people this morning that have no doubt about that. You know that he has an unlimited su- of supply of love for you. He has an unlimited supply of wealth for you. He has an unlimited supply of, 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 of peace for you. He has an unlimited supply of joy for you. You know that. But what is he channeling it through today? What is he bringing it through? Are you waiting for the check in the mail? Are you waiting for that Pentecostal handshake? Are you waiting for the phone call to say, hey, we're going to take care of all this? Or could it be? I remember uh, um, Lynette Hagen back, back in Tulsa, back at Raymond, where I went to Bible school. I graduated from. And, and, and they have an airplane. They have a jet that they use for the ministry to travel. He, he, he'll minister, uh, Pastor Hagen and, and Lynette, they'll minister in Sunday morning, won't skip a Sunday morning in their own church, in their own town, in Tulsa. And then that evening, they can be halfway across the United States ministering somewhere else. They'll be in St. Augustine again in January. And he'll preach Sunday morning in his church. And then they'll fly using, you think that's going to happen getting with Delta or American Airlines? There's no way. And so uh, uh, she was praying one day, praying to get the thing paid off. And, 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 and she said, you know, God, where is it? We've been asking. We've been crying out. We've been saying, where is it? And, and God just spoke up to her and said, have you missed a payment? Could it be that what God is wanting to do in your life is just a matter of what you've been doing all along? Could it be that the answer you're believing for, you are already making happen by practicing and keeping the pattern of what seems mundane? 
what seems of small value. And God is saying, I'm going to take care of you one day at a time. You keep being generous. You keep giving. You keep doing that. You keep following what my word says. You keep going away and doing according to the word of the Lord. You keep following my commands. That's the miracle in and of itself. You know, some of you, it's a miracle that you and your wife are are, are still together. It's a miracle that your kids are still following God. It's a miracle uh, that, that, that you even are in the home that you're in. It's a miracle, even though it seems mundane, even though it seems like we're just doing the same thing over and over and over. And when am I going to get my miracle? And when am I going to see God move? And he's saying, you are seeing me move. Don't neglect what you have in hopes of what you want. What you want will come through what you have. Father, we thank you this morning. Oh, we thank you that you have a hand in our life. And we don't want to write off what you're doing in our lives because we're looking for that one moment, for that one thing, for that one instance. But Father, we know, we know that you are moving in our life every day. Whether we see it or not, whether we notice it or not, whether we give big, major attention to it or not, Father, I thank you that you are moving in our lives. Father, help us recognize, even in the mundane, help us recognize, even in the patterns that we practice, how you're moving and operating in our lives, Father. We give you glory, and we give you praise, and we give you honor, and we want to honor you with what we have in our hand, but we want to do it from our heart. We don't want to give out of obligation. We want to give out of opportunity. Father, knowing that it is an opportunity for you to give back to us. Father, we declare it to be so. We expect it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.